0: Hey guys, welcome back to The Break Room. I'm your host, Alexis Murray, and thank you so much for joining us for episode two. Keeping up with healthcare changes can be really difficult and we're gonna give you the rundown on what you need to know to stay nimble in a pretty uncertain market. The only thing in healthcare that never changes is change itself, and we're here to keep you in the know. Today's guest is Scott Dish, Privia's national practice leader, and he's here to share what you need to know about healthcare in 2017. As Privia's resident population health expert, Scott has been working with physicians for over 10 years on optimizing practice workflow and coordinating and leveraging group-buying power. Scott's resume includes building healthcare networks that improve our communities, accountability for patient-centered medical home philosophy, and elevating staff performance and education. He has experience with managing lives under risk contracts, performance improvements, strategic planning, and medical group business development. Scott is joined by our Privia Marketing Manager, Michelle Ross, who's gonna be speaking with him on what we can expect in 2017 and how to best prepare your practice. Also, be sure to listen up for more information on where to find our new guide, Expectations in 2017, so you can take everything that you learned from today and share it with your staff. Here's Michelle and Scott.
1: Hi, Scott, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: We call you our resident population health expert with good reason. You've been working with doctors for over a decade now, and Privia doctors really rely on your expertise. What led you to work in the healthcare industry?
2: For me, it was much about the patient. Um, My background's in public health, healthcare administration. Uh, For me, it was about doing more for the patient, what they need in the healthcare system, and I found the easiest way to do that was to leverage support, technology, and expertise to the provider of who really is laying hands on these patients.
1: Great. Healthcare is top of mind for most Americans. CNN recently hosted a town hall debate on the future of healthcare, and it's pretty hard to turn on the television without hearing Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. So whether you're a patient or a provider, there's a lot to keep up with in healthcare, and thankfully we have experts like you to keep us up to date. With all this uncertainty around the Affordable Care Act, can you tell us what you believe the fate of our insurance industry, exchanges, and the future of healthcare costs will be?
2: It's a loaded question. Uh, There's a lot of change happening, right? Uh, You wake up every day, there's a new tweet, a new alert from CNN. There is something changing every day. What I can say today, it looks like there's a couple leading indicators to kind of watch for. Uh, You're going to see a shift to more capitation. You're going to see providers... Um, And insurance companies aligning on capitation models, whether that's Medicare Advantage, whether that's professional cap or full cap or full risk. Uh, You're going to see insurance companies start to continue to pull out of the exchanges uh, unless the uh, Trump presidency actually changes some of their incentives in the way that they can select patient populations into some of those exchange plans. Most recently, uh, just this last week, you saw um, two new payers actually signal that they're going to pull out of the exchanges uh, by 2018. So it is something to look at. Um, What is more important for providers is to think about the transition into more value-based arrangements. Um, In the Medicare world, if you're in an ACO, um, the new announcements of Track 1+, Plus are going to be really, really important for providers to move into from the traditional Track 1 Medicare Shared Savings Program. Uh, About 90% of uh, providers across the country that are in ACOs are in Track 1, and Track 1 Plus is actually an opportunity uh, to get more into risk with some kind of guardrails around it. And then finally, I would say what we're seeing on a focus in quality will continue over the next four, five, six years. Um, there are some naysayers out there that will try to discount the quality measures and say we don't, we're not truly measuring quality as a quality outcome of our patient population, but definitely both with the process measures that have been put in place, the utilization measures that are now coming forward, uh, we are starting to see a bigger focus on outcomes. Uh, and so I think that is something for providers to think about. They're going to be measured more on their outcomes, more on their episodic costs, more comparisons regionally versus nationally.
1: So Scott, if there was one end game model of risk that was going to define healthcare, what would that be?
2: I would have to say uh, Medicare Advantage. Um, Medicare Advantage has had a stigma over the last. 15 years of really only servicing um, urban or in-city populations, um, and sometimes in a lower SES population uh, zip codes, uh, I believe what you're going to see is more push to enroll Medicare Lives into Medicare Advantage. um, If the Trump administration actually suggests a sort of opt-out clause for Medicare beneficiaries, you could see actually all Medicare beneficiaries moving towards um, some sort of Medicare Advantage. Many of the uh, big insurance payers, whether it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, Humana, Aetna, um, and Cigna, all have a a Medicare Advantage platform. Uh, The projections, what we're anticipating, that at least half of the Medicare enrollment um, over the next couple of years of just the baby boomers will be enrolled in Medicare Advantage. Um, The opportunities here really are probably three to four fold than you would have in a risk deal under traditional uh, Medicare or even with commercial. Uh, The Medicare Advantage plans, um, depending on if they're four star, five star, there's opportunities for providers to have upfront cash to actually build infrastructure and build technology. And then they get rewarded by looking at quality and utilization metrics and outcomes. So they actually are achieving results. And in some degrees, have seen some models that I've worked in, where providers can make anywhere between 2 to 3x what they normally made, but managing a smaller patient population. So, really getting great at managing 100, 200, 300 patients around the total cost of care and can be rewarded in a Medicare Advantage product.
1: And rewarding doctors based on quality was and still is something that wasn't just supported by the Obama administration. I know macros overwhelmingly receive bipartisan support. Why are these kind of policies so popular on both sides of the aisle, and what kind of incentives are created to push value based care?
2: You know, the policies on both sides are kind of interesting. The macro legislation was about figuring out these historical programs around the Value-Based Modifier Program, the Meaningful Use Program that started in 2011, and the PQRS Program, right, or Physician Quality Reporting Program. They really took those three distinct programs and added a fourth element. Um, That fourth element is the CPIA, or the Practice Improvement Activities. Um, Many in the primary care world are used to the patient-centered medical home, concepts and actually specialists are starting to get more engaged with that through the NCQA criteria for specialists. So those four items really encompass what a provider, a particular care center or practice, should be thinking about when they manage on their patient population. And I think th- some of the history and the background of those programs really led up to unity amongst both sides of the aisle, whether Democrat or Republican, and really saw that in order to drop healthcare care costs, we needed not only put the patient first, but think about all the interactions that that patient has. Um, You're going to see changes um, with Part D of the pharmaceutical side uh, of the house coming into risk-based entities that's already part of commercial lines of risk. But on the Medicare side, they're looking at how do we change that up, which has been a huge impact uh, for the last three years on our total spend.
1: So how do you see the journey of value-based care evolving in 2017?
2: You know, initially, the final ruling when it came out, um, it was a lot less stringent and burdensome uh, than from the original draft um, in mid part of 2016. So I see them really creating this nice virtual runway for providers to start to play um, in the macro legislation, uh, especially in the MIPS program, um, the merit incentive or the merit based incentive program. It really is about how do you start to submit some basic quality measures? How do you analyze your QRUR report, which will show your cost of care episodes? And how do you think about managing the population by keeping them out of expensive areas, keeping the procedural utilization down, or possibly co managing better with your specialists? So I think those sorts of areas give a provider group who's managing with MIPS uh, an easier route to start to tell the federal government, this is what I'm doing. They're signaling a way to start to kind of tip the toe in the water, um, to figure out How might they do this a little bit better? And as we progress into 2018, 19, 20, and 21, we will start to see a much stronger focus on quality initially. And then we're going to start to see an increase in cost from a standpoint of the federal government is going to be increasing their weight uh, or weighting within the MIPS program under cost with the ultimate goal of moving providers into an advanced APM track that they can be able to take advantage of. The only way to get into those tracks is to be willing to take more risk. And that means that you are financially responsible, typically above 25 to 30% of financially, you're responsible for the patient care that you're delivering and the, and the, the total cost that the patient is incurring by a particular health plan. So I believe the signaling of how do you get providers to take more risk in the initial years, it's let's start submitting in our quality measures, get comfortable with what our costs look like, and then start putting in infrastructure and technology and resources to help kind of bear hug our patient populations to make us more successful and ready to move into full risk deals.
1: There's still a lot that we've seen that might be coming off the table. For example, whether the ACA gets repealed and so on. Are you able to determine what's here to stay and what's not?
2: It's a a very interesting question that uh, there's a lot of thoughts on both sides of this debate. Um, Many on the one side of the House feel like a repeal of the ACA will eliminate the need to have to get into bundled payments and episodes of care and more quality uh, initiatives in the future. But it is pretty clear that um, even if the Innovation Center gets eliminated or CMMI gets dissolved or there are changes amongst um, the ACA, I think what you're going to see is bundles and the way providers get paid is going to stay. Uh, You're going to see advances in uh, more optional bundles out there, probably less mandates around like you saw with the CJR bundle. The um, BCPI initiatives that have been ongoing for a number of years, those will probably move incentivize providers to look at, instead of Model 2, more like Model 4 uh, options, which roll in all of your post-acute partners, your hospital partners. We're going to think about how total cost of care really gets delivered. Um, A local example for some of our Privia markets is around our Maryland market that already has a total cost of care at the hospital level um, budget that they have to maintain and beat each year. And now they're looking at a phase two that started this year of how they pull in the community physicians. So that sort of example and others across the country is how do we look at the total cost of care and every provider that has a piece of that healthcare care dollar? How do we think about how it's spent? How do we incentivize providers to improve that? And sometimes how do we penalize providers who aren't? Uh, So definitely bundles, episodes of care, Uh, you're seeing all this also in the macro legislation. Uh, The 41 episodes of care that will be measured in 2018 for cost of care are not being measured in 17. That's what you're going to see. You're going to continue to see bundled payments and options for providers to not only press how they're doing because there's a great opportunity to be a cream of the crop and get good bonus structure but then there's going to be how do you manage the patient with partners so that continuum of care is going to be really important in network partnerships as we develop
1: so it sounds like bundles and support for value-based care is here to stay um, but some will inevitably change when it comes to access points for healthcare, how do you foresee the potential for physician consolidation
2: you know, there's going to be consolidation across many fronts. Uh, We're already starting to see you know what kind of happened back in the, the 90s when they were starting to consolidate uh, large groups. You saw hospitals employing uh, primary care physicians mostly in the managed care world, and then divesting of them um, in 2000, and then really hospitals going after the specialists in the early parts of 2000 to 2010 to improve their contribution margin, improve their number of surgeries, etc. I think what you're seeing now is a, a smarter way to align providers. Uh, There's independent models out there. Obviously, Privia has a model as well. Um, But you're starting to see hospitals kind of revert back to some of their employment consolidation. Uh, I am seeing consolidation amongst hospitals over the last five years. Right, You'll see a lot of not-for-profits getting bought up by the for-profit entities. You see uh, post-acute consolidation happening, skilled nursing facilities getting acquired. Uh, Most recently, I actually saw a hospital get acquired by a large... Medical group. Um, So there is a lot of consolidation around how we manage and provide care at the best possible price point as well as the best quality outcome. In order to get that, you don't have to have so many players in the field anymore. And uh, that's, you're going to start to see more of it. You got a lot of home health agencies out there. They recently got a 5% reduction in their Medicare reimbursement this last year. Each of those pieces are starting to pinch, kind of in the side, and you're starting to see much more consolidation in just more of those national players.
1: All of this goes back to the patient and taking the best care of the patient. We see the way physician's roles are changing, but what's really changing for the patient, particularly high-risk and chronic illness patients? Do you know what strides are being made?
2: You know, patients are definitely Changing the way they see their healthcare system. Uh, you know, when I was in Massachusetts a couple of years back, it was very Price transparent population patients were asking for what are they going to pay out of pocket? What's this going to cost them at the end of the day? You're starting to see that across other states uh, that are taking more risk. You're seeing an educated consumer. Uh, you're seeing obviously high deductible health plans from the exchanges for the last several years. You know the average deductible now is about forty two to forty five hundred dollars uh, for these exchange products. So what this meant for the last three to five years is the patient actually became our new payer, right? So that shift of risk from kind of the insurances to the provider or insurance companies to the patient has been happening. And so for the patient, with all these changes in the healthcare system, the ultimate goal is to give them the access and convenience that they're requesting now. It's not around, can I see my doctor at eight to five? It's, can I get a virtual visit done? Can I talk to them over the phone? Can I get access on a curbside consult to a specialist? Can I make uh, healthcare convenient for the patient again? So that's uh, a you know, an pro, actual program involved with risk, you start to see hospitals reducing their ED visits. You start to see admission reduction happening. And at the end of the day, you really get for the patient, you get an improved self management of their disease. So if you can improve the patient's understanding of their illness, you can improve how they relate to the provider from an access point and a trust and accountability. You get that through care planning and actual time with the patient. And then you build around them the family and social capital that's needed Then what you have as an outcome is a patient population that's actually improving their hypertension, improving their diabetes, and improving where they get their care and how often they get their care. You've got patients really being educated about their illness sitting down with a decision support guide that says if i have atrial fibrillation i might want to see my options on a pacemaker which is very high cost or medically manage my illness for a more conservative approach so there's ways to think about how i might take control take back the control of my health care by putting others around me that's part of my medical neighborhood
1: so given the potential for new healthcare care policies to take shape what can people, individual practices and physicians, what can they invest in now to succeed in the changing healthcare
2: world? Investments uh, really important. you know within the macro legislation, a lot of providers are sitting here today saying, well, I'm really not going to have my fee schedule adjusted until you know 2019. I've got time it really don't have a lot of time. You have to look at a couple things to, that you really got to be um, evaluating and really being honest with your practice, your office manager, your group. Do you have the right healthcare economics savviness that's required to get into some of these contracts and move into some of these risk-bearing entities. Are you understanding things like risk adjustment, um, HCC coding, which stands for Hierarchical Condition Categorical Coding? Do you understand medical cost modeling and predictive modeling, risk stratification? Those sorts of things help as you're negotiating with insurance companies and getting into some of these models. It's very easy to do fee-for-service contracting. It's hard because you're only arguing over one price. For risk-based contracting or performance models, it's very difficult. There's a lot of ways to lose, and you've got to have the sophistication and knowledge to be able to do that. The second area I would say, uh, Michelle, would be the delivery system architecture and management. So. How do patients access your delivery system in your practice? Do they get access to a program like uh, an obesity or behavioral health program? Do they understand a weight loss program that they can jump into and have a nutritionist or have a psychiatrist actually work alongside with them to manage their outcomes? Do we have a diabetic educator in your practice that is is supplementing the, the support and education that you as a provider have provided them? So those are some ways that we think about the delivery system and the interaction that a patient has. Thirdly, uh, you've got to have a managed care strategy. You have to think about those bundled payments. Think about global risk. Which providers in your group might be ready to take more? Which providers, if you have 10 different locations, is one location different than the other nine? Is there a way that we can bring them all together in an operating cadence so that they're actually providing high-level and high-performance along key standards of quality and cost of care. And so as you think about a managed care strategy, you have to think about where do we go along that value stream? How quickly and how swiftly do we move to be able to take more risk and be able to benefit from that? And then finally, in closing, I would say it's the operations and technology piece that really make this hum, right? It's the patient engagement strategies It's overall access, online scheduling platforms. It's clinical workflows, right? Doctors need to spend time with the patient. They need to have that administrative work come off of them, and they need to think about what's the proper workflow that can maximize this patient's time with me. Um, An easy example of that is often advanced directives or living wills. Those take a lot of time for providers to do. How can you think about other models of care that help accomplish the patient conversation with that? How can you have your staff or other nurse practitioners help with that sort of important quality initiative so that patients have not only a care plan, but now have an advanced directive on file and have a future projection about where their health care is going to go? So for us here at Privia, we've spent the last couple of years building these strategies, building the sophistication, and building the operational rigor that comes with allowing our providers to succeed in this. And so I would challenge each of those out there listening to just think about what are two or three things that you need to put in place today, whether it's technology, whether it's operational personnel, whether it's uh, operational data reviews. Sometimes it's having the data in front of you that can, can really help you judge, what's the biggest bang for my buck? Where should I go to solve these patient population problems in spend or poor quality or in access? So when you think about it, it doesn't become a strategy, it comes in operational rigor that needs to happen amongst each of these practices. And so within Privia, we've spent our time working on how do we take work off of doctors that maximizes their opportunity to have that relationship, that medical decision making with the patient, and ultimately guiding their care to improved outcomes.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Scott, for being here. I think as as healthcare continues to evolve, it's important that we can share tips like this on succeeding in value-based care and um, important that we keep our physicians educated. So thank you so much for being here.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Break Room, episode two. We've created a new guide, Expectations of 2017 for our listeners to continue the conversation on succeeding as our political climate shifts. You can find this resource at go.privia. It's P R I V I A Health.com slash the break room. Join us for our next episode on why doctors should stick to their day jobs. We're going to speak with Dr. Keith Fernandez, Senior Physician Executive here at Privia, on his new blog post on physician burnout and what doctors can do to combat it. If you want to subscribe for future episodes, like today's episode, or just learn more about what we do here at Privia, again please visit us at go.privia, P R I, V I A Health dot com slash the break room you can also reach the Privia team at 888-996-0232 thanks so much